Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and we are finally heading to the south of France, but via New York City, where I am speaking to the founder and organizer of the AS Monaco Fan Club of New York City. Please welcome to the show, Monaco supporter, Damien Malatino. Bonjour, Damien. Hi, Sal. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on because as we just discussed in the pre-interview, you are from Monaco, but you have dual citizenship for both France and Monaco, which I can't wait to dive into the differences among the two countries. And because I don't think that a lot of people realize that they are separate, despite the fact that the team, you know, plays in Ligue uh, we often hear about the comparisons of New York City and it being like a little Paris and in some neighborhoods like the West Village and Park Slope, especially. But Monaco truly is a one of a kind place. And Monte Carlo is a city I've always wanted to go to and a place I've always been fascinated with. So you obviously are from there. What's it like? What's the comparison between Monte Carlo and New York, if there is any? So actually, what people might not be aware of is that Monaco is very similar to New York in the essence. Uh, of course, it's it's tiny; it's the opposite in like size. But you have many uh, people from different countries who live in Monaco. Over 140 different countries, to be exact. Uh, people from all around the world just gather here. It's also a big like um, cultural melting pot, melting pot in a way, uh, and it's also very different uh, because it's a small independent. A uh, country that depends on France uh, on the military protection part, for example, but it's entirely independent. It's its own country. And one of the specificities uh, of the country itself is that uh, the AS Monaco uh, football team is part of the French Ligue 1 championship. And this is part of the, the country's history overall. Uh, when the country uh, opened up more to France and Europe, which was in the late 1800s, um, we used to have like a bigger land that was Monaco. It, it used to go from the Italian border, which is now uh, with France, up to the, the actual Monaco, that's the current Monaco. And Monaco negotiated different things uh, in order to keep its independence and get uh, France's military protection. And part of it was to give up two thirds of its land. So it, it got even smaller, but there was some inclusion made in terms of, uh, you know, there were no uh, physical borders uh, to cross between Monaco and France. It's very well integrated, just like it's part of the Schengen area in Europe. The train goes through Monaco uh, and the, uh, the football club gets to play in Ligue 1. This is great. You know, as you said, you carry both passports for both countries. So what are the similarities and what how are they different? Obviously, size plays a huge role with Monaco, but is the cultural... Uh, cultural things similar or are they very different? So I would say you could walk between France and Monaco and feel like it's culturally the same, uh, but Monaco by itself is, is a very uh, different place. So the country has, has a big image of, uh, which is, I mean, part of it is extremely true. You have the casino, it's very, uh, you know, like opulent reality. Uh, it has a glamour kind of image also. And that's also because it's um, a very small country that had like a more restricted approach uh, to citizenship. 
you need to be born and raised there and eventually also have a family there or there are more strict conditions in terms of if you want to get married uh, with someone uh, and uh, you get married with someone who doesn't have the citizenship, they have to wait a certain number of years before getting even the citizenship. So because of this like small model, it's harder to be able to get the Monaco citizenship. Hence, it's harder to live in Monaco. And why so? That's because also of one thing many people might not be aware, but in a few words, um, if you're a citizen, you get access to a huge social model that allows you to have uh, rent-stabilized housing in Monaco. And if you don't have the citizenship and you want to be a resident, you just find extremely expensive uh, real estate because it's very small, there is not much available and it offers you know, a nice setting. So it would be the equivalent of, can you afford to live in Soho in Manhattan? if you want to live in Monaco. And that's why it's very restricted. And we have few people who have the citizenship, but also few people are able to just go and live in Monaco and say, I live in Monaco. You're one of them. I mean, as I said to you right before we hit record, I said, you're like an alien to me. Like I've never met anybody from Monaco. It always, it's, it's such a beautiful island. It's such a beautiful country. And to me, I, I'm part of my ignorance, but I, I truly thought that like you only had to be like, of the 1% wealth to live there. Like that was what it always kind of was the picture in my head is that like, as we talked about, like Charles Leclerc, he's, you know, lives there. And uh, there was a uh, Daniel Ricardo, the race car driver also living there as well. So I was just like, Oh, these, these guys make so much money. Of course they can live there. Like, why not? But to actually be born and raised and knowing that that's not the case is kind of, kind of mind blowing for me. You know, when, when you go and travel, like, how do you, do you consider yourself to be from Monaco or do you consider yourself to be from France? Oh, I'm, I'm from Monaco. Like I grew up there, was born and raised there. And in terms of citizenship, I'm both French and Monégasque. It's like from each of my parents, my father uh, is French. My mother is Monégasque. So I'm really, I belong to both countries. Beautiful. All right. So being that you grew up there, being that you're Monégasque, I assume that that's how your fandom of AS Monaco came about. Exactly. So one thing about Monaco, um, the stadium is right there in the middle of the city. And it's also a big thing. Like if you live there or even if you live in the area, you're going to be a fan. You're going to support the team somewhat, you know. And also another big thing is that, well, my father uh, is a huge fan of AS Monaco, and I think that's how I, I became a fan, like since the moment I was born. But many people also have the same, uh, you know, oh, I'm a fan, but yeah, my parents are also fans. We live in the area. They grew up like supporting AS Monaco. So that whole just got into it and then got the passion coming, growing into us. I love it. You know, especially the fact that when Monaco does something, it always seems to be in the center of the city. Obviously, the big Formula One race, obviously the stadium of this team. It's bringing everyone together. One of the more interesting things about AS Monaco is that the club, and you mentioned this earlier, represents the sovereign nation and the kingdom of Monaco. And technically, the club is also the national team, but you don't have to be Monégasque to play for the team, correct? Like, you could just be any player. I remember, like, there have been a number of Italian players and Croatian players that have been there. Is that correct? So it's correct, but actually there's a technical difference. We okay. do have a national team, but it's an amateur team. Oh. Uh, it's part of uh, like the small sovereign states uh, league, I would say, where you can have like uh, Andorra, Liechtenstein, uh, San Marino, all these like very small, like 
countries uh, have their like amateur teams. And I believe uh, Prince Albert uh, of Monaco used to play even at some point in the team. So it's, it's really amateur, you know. Um, but this team, the AS Monaco team, is actually the league team. So that's why we can have players from everywhere. It, it abides to the same rules as any French league 1 team. Or uh, we, we also were um, relegated to League 2 like um, a few years back, which I remember very well. And, you know, same rules. It's not like, oh, you're part of national teams, you get to play games against other like national teams or against other big teams. No, you get to like maintain your level in the league and stay there to play. And you go down, you go up, and that's how it is. And they look great doing it. Probably some of the, my favorite jerseys of all time. That team just always sport that beautiful red and white. And as your scarf has, you, you know, David's wearing a really beautiful scarf. Yes. Uh, just, you know, that color scheme really just represents everything about the, about the country. What is it about, like, when you see, like, how good the team always looks? Like, how proud are you to just, not just, of course, how they play, but, like, they they always look stunning. They always have some of my favorite jerseys. They look so polished. They look so clean. They look like French models is what it is. Thank you. I mean, yes, they're all athletes, first of all. So I think all, like, professional football players have a good look in general because they're, like, you know, they have to deliver a great game. They have great physical uh, capabilities. When it comes to the jersey, um, actually, the jersey's roots, the colors are the ones of the flag. So it's, you know, red and white. Our flag is red and white. That has to be there. But when it comes to the roots uh, of the AS Monaco jersey, it actually starts in the United States. Oh. And it comes from um, Grace Kelly, uh, who was so Prince Albert's mother. And she's actually the one who designed this uh, typical diagonal, like red and white line that shapes our historical like jerseys. We have for like dozens of years now. Wow. All right. This is great. I'm, I'm so happy that not only am I learning so much, I'm hoping that the audience does as well and takes this from, you know, as we speak, AS Monaco is currently seventh in Ligue 1. Uh, since the departure of Mbappe to PSG in 2018, the team has been clawing back to life. They haven't been the team they were since he was there and even years prior. What do Monaco need to do in order to get back into Champions League and, and push off the likes of Lille and PSG from the top of the podium? So I think they need to be um, maybe a bit more consistent on that end, but they've been performing well still, like even since we lost Mbappe. I mean, we won the championship title and then we still had great runs in Champions League. Um, I think maybe the season starts needs to need to be a bit more, um, you know, worked on because, for example, last season they did a great catch-up to come back to the podium. But, you know, we just support the club always, no matter what. And it's been since the recent years that it's consistently in, I would say, the top five um, area, which is great. So they just got to keep doing what they do and you know, just, yeah, be consistent, I would say. For sure. You know, we have saw that, obviously, there's been an influx of cash to PSG in recent years. But AS Monaco is a much older and a much more historic club. We, and it was looked at at one point as one of the more prestigious things and teams to play for in France in the league. You know, what is it now that do you think that because of the money that has just gone to one team, that the rest of the league is going to suffer from years because of it? 
So yeah, I think that PSG is in another world in its own league and something that all other uh, league fans will say. There are two sides to it, and I would say that first, in the new like in the new uh, economic reality, you need to have uh, investors to like help some teams become big, like develop themselves real fast. So I won't lie, Monaco also got some cash influx mm-hmm. uh, from the current president Dimitri Bolaflev, who went there when we were like in the last seed of the League Two, the second division. Like it was a terrible time. Just went there and just bought like two thirds of the of the club, and this saved us. I mean, we're not gonna lie. And then we went back uh, the following season to Ligue 1 and had some great great years since then. So it's a new reality, and many clubs also taking like uh, external investors. Some uh, French Ligue 1 clubs, for example, have uh, American groups that are looking into investing uh, in the clubs. Paris has had um, Qatar investing in uh, since like. I think something like 10 years now, mm-hmm. a bit more than 10 years. So this new reality is, I would say on that end, I understand you need, uh, because of the new economic realities, like, you know, there's some inflation in terms of player transfers also. It is what it is. And even to survive, uh, because like, you know, the cost you have to run the club keep getting higher. The Some clubs like Monaco need to get some, uh, you know, transfer profits right. to still like be able to keep, and maintain the, the professional staff they have, infrastructure, and also uh, the players. On the other hand, in France, uh, I think that for Paris, it's too much now. Uh, something that happened, uh, or like they set like some sort of like a, a huge gap between Paris and the other teams. As we have seen recently, Paris cannot necessarily win every single league on season, mm-hmm. um, but we feel like uh, we're running a second like kind of championship, like who's going to be second this year. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit like unfair maybe. And maybe some of the rules they have set up in Europe for like financial fair play. And I'm not only like saying that against necessarily Paris or other teams, also like other big European teams kind of benefit from that. The fact that you can put hundreds of millions uh, of euros to buy player, transfer them, keep them. The year Paris uh, transferred um, Mbappe from Monaco for a huge, huge sum, but he had a huge potential. This was justified. They also transferred Neymar right. from Barcelona the exact same year, and they almost did not sell any huge players. So that's where maybe in Europe, like European football has some limitations. And it's not like in the US where they have like more strict rules, uh, which help to have some caps on teams. You still have like uh, great teams in other American sports. I mean, I'm thinking maybe let's take baseball as an example. You have some luxury caps, luxury tax. So some teams might still be like, you know, be there, be present. Um, but also they can do whatever they want to dominate uh, the whole league all the time. I think that's what's lacking uh, maybe in Europe, especially like in France with Paris being like above all the other teams in terms of budget and the players uh, they can afford to like attract and transfer. I agree. And I think a salary cap is needed and justified for the fact that, you know, you don't want the same. It's just, it becomes, as you said, that race for second place, that race for third. Uh, In the rare instance, it could, you know, we have a Leicester city that topples everybody with a, you know, a good budget, not a great budget. Uh, That instance couldn't happen. You know, Lille a few years ago toppled PSG and, you know, took, 
took the title, which was a shock to so many people. But as you're saying, you know, it's, it's, it, as they discuss financial fair play, the, the, the fair play isn't so fair, right? Like that's the problem. Yes, there are some rules. So to prevent like, you know, huge deficits, get getting huge debts, but there's always a workaround. Like, for example, I mean, Paris had some marketing contracts worth like over a hundred million euros uh, just to go to Qatar once and just promote, you know, football and make uh, some sort of ad to promote Qatar. I mean, it's great. They can do that for a country and, you know, like help promote the country. I think the World Cup is going to be in Qatar this year, for example. So there's like in the country a push to, you know, promote football. This can be great. I mean, any country is allowed and should be able to do as they please, but it has to be brought down to like a more, like a real level that does not penalize or penalize other teams who don't have that support or also make it unfair. Right. Like, I mean, take for a team like Nice, for instance, or, or Marseille or Reims, like other French teams, uh, Nantes, like they're going to struggle to be able to compete like that. Like that's not, it almost, it, it could demolish the league. Not so much even champ. I'm not even thinking champions league. I'm just thinking just even domestically. You know, and for a team like Monaco, as we said, so historic, so you know, prestigious, launched the careers of Thierry Henry. I remember when El Shawari left AC Milan to go play there for a brief period of time. Mm-hmm. We've seen Joe Mario play there. Obviously, Mbappe, we discussed. You know, they've had great players, and they continue to sign great players. And you want great teams that have a legacy to always be in the mix they don't necessarily have to win but just being i mean of course you want them to win you're the fan but you know as a neutral i sit here and go like i want you know the legendary teams that can constantly be talked about and not fall by the wayside but monaco is known more for racing and that formula one weekend but are the fans as passionate about the game of football as they are for racing in in monaco so i'm going to say the Monaco fans are more passionate about football than about racing. So wow. actually for racing, yes, I'm not afraid to say that because for racing, the fans come from around the world and it's a great uh, thing for Monaco to have the Grand Prix. I'm very glad also it was renewed recently, mm-hmm. but for us, I mean, when you're a local uh, who grew up there or you live in the area for us, it's like an economic opportunity to help Monaco stay where it is in terms of image, uh, in terms of popularity, and also of, well, yeah, having a great racing there. But we watched the Grand Prix on TV. Uh, we never had, like, since now Charles Leclerc, uh, a pilot the Monag- who's a Monegasque pilot and racing at the top level. We also support French pilots because of the ties between Monaco and France. But if you go to Monaco and also all around France and now some places like further than France, you're going to see that people are really passionate about AS Monaco. And mm-hmm. if you're from there, like one thing you mentioned before, like, yeah, you can think that, oh, if you're in Monaco, you're part of the 1%. But I want to reverse that logic and say, if you're a nice Monaco fan and you're from there, you're part of the 100%. Like we have the same wealth distribution for like locals, people who live around Monaco mostly and people in Monaco as anywhere else. Some people part of the 1% can be a nice Monaco fan, but most people who meet at the stadium, like, you know, they just work their job. And some people don't live in Monaco, like they struggle like everyone else. 
you can have people who can be uh, anywhere from a janitor to like, you know, uh, a billionaire um, um, Russian CEO like Mr. Ribolovlev, which is what he was when he was in the stadium. We're all going to sit in the same uh, seats, in the same like rows at the stadium. And it's actually what happened before uh, Dmitry Ribolovlev uh, bought the club. And I just learned about it afterwards. Even when we're in like Ligue 2, he was sitting in the exact same uh, section of the stadium as my father or as wow. other people just going there. And you would think, oh, it should be in the VIP area, you know, but it's a league, the club, so who cares? Uh, but he or she, you would expect him to be there. But no, he was there with everyone in like across from it, not in the curve where like the fans are singing, but, you know, maybe some someday he went there. Nobody knows. And that's the whole spirit we have, like people like as Monaco can have any like any background come from anywhere, but it's more like he's going to match um, the wealth, like, you know, the standard wealth distribution you have pretty much anywhere else. So it's the majority of people like who support AS Monaco and that's only in Monaco. I'm talking about the stadium, but mm -hmm. I could go towards fans outside of Monaco too, because it's a huge fan base. People who are there will just be like regular people. It's a popular game. That's why you have more people like supporting it, have the passion for it. And it's, it's a different context than Formula One, which is more, Formula One is more during uh, Formula One fans from around the world. We also support it, but in a different way. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for setting all this light. And because it's it's always been, and I and I feel like I'm not alone. That's always been like the misconception is, is that, as we, you know, I may, you know, incorrectly stated earlier that, you know, 1%, that's kind of like what is sold around uh, the idea of what the island is like and what the country is like. When you go to the games at the stadium, what is that atmosphere like? Because that stadium is gorgeous. It also looks like something that comes from the future. It doesn't look like something that is like from here. You know, like it's it's something like out of Blade Runner. It looks like. <laughs> yes, actually, it's a um, it's an older stadium now. It's almost like uh, forty years old. Wow. And for me, like it's it's a very comforting feeling. Like I feel like home. Well, of course, because I grew up there, but. I have many great memories there, but it's it's also it has changed a lot, especially in the recent years. But still, it's it has this like warm feeling, like oh, I have good memories here, like any kind of memories. And I just walk in there, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited because I support the AS Monaco, but there's so much more going on in the stadium because I know I'm surrounded by random people who share the same passion as me. And one thing that's a bit more like special about Monaco and you're from Monaco you're going to know people around like it's it's a big it's a big village like it's a town it's it's like you know 32,000 people living there maybe and you can make like a difference between yeah who would go to the stadium who would not and people would go to the stadium usually like you know them or you know someone know them or they'll be related to you in a way so that's why it's a very special feeling too I love it that's great you know in recent years unfairly we've seen legal get a lot of flack and pardon my french literally like i know my pronunciation is god awful and it's such a gorgeous language and i butchered it completely throughout this entire interview um i'm trying my hardest not to but the league gets a lot of flack for being a so-called farmer's league not only do i find that again as i said disrespectful but it's simply not the case you know why does it get the disrespect from the mainstream and mainstream soccer fans or football fans like that 
honestly, like it's a bit surprising when when we hear that being like local fans. I mean, fans of league on teams. Uh, but in a way, I can understand some criticism that's drawn because we're not among the top three like leagues in Europe. Like we're aware of that. There are some great huge leagues uh, in there, and maybe the the style of uh, football that's played in Ligue 1 is a bit different. It can be seen as more defensive. There are more disparities between clubs. Uh, let's say you can have we have a lot of actually historical clubs who had. In the past, you know, um, one title is great, like uh, European uh, games that are in mind, but they're less consistent uh, in a way. And I mean, us sometimes we also feel that, oh, if only like there could be something like changing a bit that very defensive game style, but in a way like that the way it is and it can work. So, you know, we just, we like it the way it is. There are some good like offensive, like uh, football that's also played. And like, yeah, what I wish and what could be great for Soliga is that there are more uh, teams that are consistently uh, at the top level, like going to Champions League, representing France, and maybe people will stop during those uh, criticisms, which for me are a bit exaggerated. Right, right. I agree. Um, you know, France in itself has produced blockbuster players in the, for, for a very long time. But I feel like in the last 10 years, we've seen some of the greatest players to ever play come right out of that country from Mbappe to Nicolo Kante to Mike Magnon, who's my favorite goalkeeper now, you know, at AC Milan. Teo Hernandez, another, another Milan player, Olivia Giroud, another Milan player. You see where I'm going. With but, uh, but what's amazing though, is that how much talent, pure raw talent and again the the current world cup holders this this episode of the podcast is being recorded before the Qatar world cup in 2022 it'll be released in 2023 so we don't know who's going to win just yet but the fact that the reigning world champs is france and you see the amount of talent that embarrassment of riches the depth the the squad is unbelievable how does how do you feel like how how excited are you and how excited are the rest of French football fans to see that, you, you know what, you can say what you want about our league, but some of the greatest and finest players in the world come from our country. Exactly. I think we're all super excited about this. And 2018 was like such a national event. So I had a chance to be in Nice towards the game. Uh, the final, like, you know, we we're on the streets. The streets were crowded. And like, you know, bars, ice cream shops had huge screens facing toward the streets to watch the game. Everybody was singing, clapping, like it was an insane atmosphere. And I think everybody's really excited about that. I mean, just winning 2018 was amazing. And now we'll see how it goes for the next World Cup. We're just happy we won like the, the second like World Cup 20 years after it's highly symbolic also for us. And I think we're excited about it. We'll see how it goes. Things have changed a little, but you know what? We were not maybe expected to win in 2018, even though like the young players were like super, super great. And there was a lot of like, you know, well, maybe some expectations, but we're like, whatever happened, they're young, they have time. And still they won. They they brought the country together, which was amazing. And I think there's an excitement. We're like, you know, looking forward to it, even though it's a different time than like the regular, the usual summer workup. Like people are still very happy and, you know, looking forward to it. Fantastic. 
you know, you recently started, you took your love of AS Monaco to a whole new level and you started the AS Monaco fan club of New York City. What, what is it and how did that come about? So the AS Monaco fan club of New York City, uh, I just started from scratch because I felt that I wanted to like gather people to watch AS Monaco games here uh, in the city. That was my initial idea. And I just felt that people uh, who support AS Monaco are really everywhere. Like the bulk of it is not in Monaco. Monaco has so little people that like you could fit more than half of the city of Monaco in the stadium, like sitting there and watching games. So it's not happening. And I know that in France, uh, there are lots of fans spread around, but I also know that, you know, in New York City, especially, you got people from all around the world. And you also have people with ties to Monaco or people who just like football and might be Monaco fans. So I just had this idea. I was, you know, watching games uh, by myself uh, after like the city reopened from COVID. It was hard to find a place to watch games. And I just with my beer by myself. There was one little screen. I was the only one. People were yelling about completely different games, but I was happy to be here. And I, I just felt, you know what? Things are reopening. We might get people like football, maybe some French fans like expatriates like me or people who are here and live here now and support AS Monaco who might be interested. So I, I'm just, I felt I can start it. I start from nothing and I can only grow from that and grow a small like fan club and see where it goes. And, you know, it, it's just starting, but I had this idea and I went to the bar. I, I was watching, uh, I, I'm watching all the games and, you know, I saw some scores of other French league on teams, like for example, Paris, but also Lyon, Saint-Etienne, and one of Nice, which is our big rival team. And I felt, how come there'll be a, a scarf from the Nice rival team and none from Monaco? You know, that kind of like triggered something in me that says, maybe I could do something about it. Just like that. I had the idea and I just, I had a chance to submit uh, some members uh, of uh, the PSG uh, fan club in New York City. So because they're kind of the only ones uh, with uh, Marseille who survived uh, the pandemic because many, many clubs like had to stop live events, like in-person events. And from there, you know, just talking to them, getting like a feedback of how they also started like years and years ago, they're like, yeah, we're only two people. So, you know, here you can just start with two people and build something. And I felt I might as well, why not? And from there, like I had the idea, I had the confirmation people who did that it's possible. I just felt I'm going to go for it. I love it. I love the, I love the initiative. I love the passion. I love the fact that like, even if it's just you, like, Hey, um, I do have to join you at the bar because the bar, you, the fan club meets at legends in New York city, which is also home of the AC Milan fan club of New York city. This is correct. I had, I had one of the board members on last month, uh, for season three of Copa Mundial. And for those of you who have never been inside Legends, it is the soccer bar or football bar or calcio bar, whatever you call it in your language. It is the bar of bars for this sport. For you, as you said, you're starting out, you're fresh, you're young, you're new. How exciting are, how excited is it for you now to not only start something new, but start something in such an atmosphere where no matter what, it's going to be entertaining, no matter what, the, the games are going to be on. They're going to be played. It's it's a great atmosphere, as I said, always. You know, for you, uh, how, how is, does that help sell what you're putting out there? So for me, it just feels amazing to be in such an atmosphere. And it did not take me much time 
decide this is the place I'm going to pick to watch uh, the games, you know. Uh, I also heard that in your previous uh, podcast, um, uh, the board member of uh, the Milan fat cl fan club uh, praised uh, Jack, who's like the manager of the full yeah. factory, and Jack totally deserves it because I just felt welcome. I was here by myself with my Monaco scarf. I knew I, I questioned him a bit, hey, why if I want to register my fan club? How does it work? He just told me, bring a scarf, we'll put it up. And you can organize your events and that's it. And just saying that, of course, when I started to launch uh, the S Monaco Fan New York City, I brought a scarf, he put it up just to next to the bar, slightly on the left, you'll see it. It's an OG, you know, Monaco uh, Club des Supporters scarf, like the real fan club, fan club scarf. And I just felt I would be welcome here. And also starting uh, the fan club, and even when I was watching games by myself there, I always have uh, people around me who are like passionate about football and who are like starting to engage with me. Hey, oh, what's your team? Oh, it's Monaco. Yeah, oh, I like Monaco. Like, you know, Oh, I, I'm, someone once told me, oh, I'm from Marseille. It was the Monaco-Marseille game. So I'm like, okay, let's see it. He was not from Marseille, but, you know, I was like, okay, let's watch the game. And we lost, sadly, but <laughs> <laughs> just to remember that, you know, and feeling like people just randomly come and talk to you, they share the same passion. I'm like, that's exactly the idea and the atmosphere uh, we have in Monaco. Like, no matter what uh, the number of people who are going to come and watch the game is, like, we're still going to be, like, here because of our love uh, of football. And we're gonna meet with other people, engage with other fans in like a good, like uh, in a healthy um, kind of uh, rivalry, I would say with uh, the other teams, the other like, you know, French teams, it could be. And just the atmosphere and the really the very historical aspect I, I found at, at this bar also, like you have some amazing like jerseys, signed jerseys from like uh, great legendary players or like also the scores of the local fan clubs like Milan, uh, like Paris, they have some stuff here. Like Lyon also have some stuff uh, displayed, and many other uh, other clubs. Uh, this just felt amazing. I thought, like you know, it could be a great start. Uh, it's also Midtown Manhattan. It's well situated. Like the location is ideal, just next to the Empire State Building. Because my idea also for Monaco and the Ice Monaco Fan Club is to have people who are, you know, who might be living here in the area to come, but it's really open to anyone who shares the same passion for Ice Monaco or soccer. And actually, as surprising as it might sound, many people who are either from the Monaco area or fans just come to New York on vacation. So they might want to watch a game. And when I was shooting, that's a little like um, story that just came up. When I was shooting my first Instagram picture, like when Ice Monaco asked me to shoot a picture, like, uh, on Times Square with like some friends who were also visiting. And, you know, I was like, hey, let our jerseys on and, you know, take a picture yeah. like for social media. I took the picture and someone just came to me like, hey, you're from Monaco in French. And like, yes. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm a police officer in Monaco. And I know like the, wow. the board members of the Central Fan Club in Monaco, like just like that. The day I was seeing the picture, it was raining in Times Square on a Monday evening. Terrible time for like people from New York who know it. <laughs> and, you know, it just... I just took a picture with him and he sent it to like um, the board member from the central like fan club in Monaco. And that was it just because it's so spontaneous and like just amazing, this amazing thing about New York. So I felt, yeah, it would be the perfect place to welcome visitors or, you know, people from here want to be like local members. For sure. I mean, and that is a perfect, perfect New York story. That is a perfect New York moment. If I've ever heard one. You know, you've been able to watch this game in 
multiple places around the world now. How are New York fans different than everyone else? <laughs> well, New York fans, like the ones who are in New York are really passionate. I mean, from what I've seen, and that's great. I see that also in New York, maybe in the US, but especially in New York, you're kind of happy and there's some sort of pride to be a member of a club that shares the same interests. It's a great uh, occasion to like, you know, gather uh, with people, have like some social event. Well, it's around football here, but I'm pretty sure you can also gather with your um, football fan club and, you know, do other things, which is amazing. And there's a great sense of uh, community, I would say. So I still need to meet more uh, more people from other fan clubs to really like, you know, see how it goes and also get inspiration for the future of the Ice Monaco fans, uh, New York City club I have. But New York fans can also be extremely passionate, uh, especially for like, for example, I don't know, Argentinian teams, Colombian teams, or even like Paris, even like the European teams. I saw some, I remember, uh, I think at Legend, we have like uh, a big Chelsea fan base or the Milan fan base, of course. I see that like, they're here, like if you're at the stadium, they're here to like sing and like shout and like scream for your team. They have like the energy levels, just like if you were like, uh, at your team stadium, which is just amazing. It's amazing to see that. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. Damien, we're in the home stretch. I'm going to ask you three rapid fire questions that I ask every single person that comes on this podcast. But before we do that, I want to thank you for shedding light on your team, shedding light on your beautiful country and the culture. I can't thank you enough. I really am so happy we got to connect. I'm so happy to find out that we're neighbors. I'm so happy to find out that, you know, Monaco now has a fan club here in the city and I will join you as soon as I get a chance for a beer and we will go and you know, you'll have two people at the bar with you. So thank you so much for coming on. Great. All right, here we go. Question number one, if you could bring back one retired player from your club to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? I would say Fernando Morientes. Um, He was only here one year during that 2004 epic uh, Champions League uh, path we had. And just because of that, he was uh, on loan from like Real Madrid and he was such a great like uh, offensive player that actually helped us qualify, beat the Galactics Real Madrid just because of like what they did that season without being expected to go up to the final. That'd be like something that would like stir things up and draw people back and, you know, maybe get another like Champions League uh, final and what does the title like next year? Who knows? Right. Okay. Now, money is not an option. You have endless supply of money, more money than PSG. If Monaco could sign one player today, who would it be and why? I would say sign back Mbappe. Mm -hmm. And why? Because, well, he has grown and won the World Cup, but also it might help him uh, get get back to his roots and maybe get a slightly better attitude uh, compared to what has been happening in Paris because... I would say he changed a bit and it kind of also hurt the national team. All right. All right. Good, good reasoning. And finally, what is your favorite moment as a fan? 
I have like maybe multiple favorite moments. It's very hard actually as a question. Um, I would say 2017, when I won the title, I could not be here at the stadium, but just seeing it, I had goosebumps, just seeing it like, you know, on TV. Um, I was in Paris at that time, but just seeing it, it was like such a great feeling, like 17 years after our last title and kind of the achievement of this new era of Ice Monaco with our captain, Radamel Falcao. So that was my great uh, recent memory. And I still think about it to these days. Love it. Love it. Damien, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Salary. I appreciate the opportunity. Anytime. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.